what is it? Pork, pork, ham, and scrambled eggs. I mean, I was, or, that's the uh, only thing I know about it as well. <laughs> cream like cheese that. and scrambled eggs. Yeah. What is it? Mr. What is it? Toss salad and toss salad. Yeah. We can move on from this. I'm sure this is not going to get included in the episode. It's definitely not. <laughs> Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale February 12th, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Or uh, yeah. if you don't subscribe to love, then happy uh, the 14th of February, which is coming up very shortly. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I'll be jetting off to California. Oh. How about you? What do you got? Any nice dinner plans? You know, microwave a couple hot dogs. Uh, Look, we we live a little bit better than that, <laughs> Tucker. I don't know. We talked about um, trying to go out and have somebody watch the baby, yeah. but it's just it's so much. You yeah. know, you have to balance. Like, all right, utilize this. You know, person who's willing to babysit. Yes. Sparingly. Yeah. You need your own like Thory the Hellhound. Yes. To just. Keep watch. Yeah. That's it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Put a little like uh saddle and like yeah, a yeah, little yeah. seat on on the on the hellhound and just <laughs> Catherine can just do 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 do. Yeah. Oh, that's the dream right there. <laughs> if you're just joining us on Marvel's pull list, we are talking about all the new Marvel comics on sale this week. We uh, we have a couple picks of our own that are our personal favorites, but we're going to run you through all of them because there's a lot of cool comics. Then we're going to talk about stuff that's hitting the collected editions this week, so the trade paperbacks or the graphic novels, mm-hmm. if you're that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And uh, then some stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited. And I am so excited for the Marvel Unlimited section. Ooh. I In the notes that we put in our shared document. I curse a lot and I get excited <laughs> and I highlighted stuff. We're going to get there later in the episode. Hey, and also I yes. wanted to say this week we have a solicits video episode. Sure um, do. Where we're announcing a bunch of new comics coming in May. Yeah, it's a good one. It's <laughs> it's going like, to be wild. Don't eat for a few hours before you watch. Yeah. I'll say that. It's going to be wet. It's going to be <laughs> weird. It's going to be delightful. You can watch that on uh, all the places you watch Marvel videos. Yeah. Uh, but let's get into it. Tucker, you're up first. All right, let's do this. We're starting with Arrow number eight, which is written by Joe Lifen with art by Kang and the adaptation written by Amy Chu and letters throughout by VCs Joe Caramagna. This felt like a big step in kind of the hero's journey for Arrow. When I think of Arrow, I think of some enormous pages with huge scale across the entire geography of of this side of the Marvel Universe. So this issue where we have Arrow largely in conversation with Manhwag, who is challenging her, asking questions of her, it felt like that moment in a hero's journey where they ask themselves why they're doing this and why they're committed to this life. It was really interesting to me. Yeah. This also had things in this issue that reminded me of Shadow of the Colossus, yeah. which is a video game. Scale. Uh, yeah. yeah, big scale. I will never play that game because <laughs> the point of the game is to kill these beautiful giant creatures. And I was like, no, I want to be friends with the giant monster things and then we go and have a party. <laughs> if you're going to kill them, you can just go, you know... Go. I would try and a way to say <laughs> yeah, this without cursing and being very this, angry. These aren't your show notes. That's right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we are doing a podcast here, mm. and we've got a very special podcast episode wherein. Inside the pages of Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man number 39, written by Nick Spencer, art by Ivan Coelho, colors by Brian Reber, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, yeah, this one is cool because we've seen J. Jonah Jameson starting to take his steps into the modern world. And part of that is hosting a podcast. <laughs> Who better to have as his first guest than the amazing, spectacular web of Spider-Man? And uh, that's... That's the business here. It's going to be real fun. We see them bicker and banter and go back and forth. Of course, things get wild and there's action and adventure and all that other stuff. But I love when Nick Spencer gets into the meat of the relationship stuff, especially between these two characters. It's it's, it's wild. Next book we have is Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda, number six. It's written by Jim Zub with pencils by Scott Eaton, uh, inks by Sean Parsons, colors by Marcio Meniz, and letters in production by VCs Joe Sabino. Because, of course, we have T'Challa. And in this issue, we have Deadpool. We don't just have Deadpool. We have Nick Fury. And this is OG Nick Fury, not Nick Fury Jr. This is Nick Fury as in Howling Commandos style. And I loved to see that. In this issue, it is posited that Nick Fury may have eaten pizza. Scott Eaton pizza. 
How dare you? <laughs> he may have eaten pizza with a fork. Have yeah. you ever eaten pizza of with a fork? Of course I have. Uh, I am, In what circumstances? I, I I probably just when it's too hot and I'm too impatient to wait for the pizza to cool off. I am geographically from a place very close to New York City. The epicenter of pizza, I think we can all agree. Culturally speaking, might as well be from Antarctica. Hence... <laughs> My fork eating pizza business. I, I think I've only eaten pizza with a fork when I was in Chicago because uh, that that's not a that's not real pizza. <laughs> B it's uh, no it it is a great food item. Jorge is giving me this look. I don't consider it pizza. I consider it a beautiful meal, a casserole of meat and cheese and bread that I want to put inside me every day. But <laughs> not quite pizza. I love it though. Anyway, since we were talking about whether or not. T'Challa would make a good yeah. podcast host. I would love to, for the rest of this episode, look at our books and see who would make good podcast sure. hosts. Let's go through right. it. Because up next, we've got Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme. And I would say right now, that boy would be a pretty good podcast host because he loves to hear himself talk and he <laughs> would just go on and on. He had these all these stories and different things. He would just need a good producer and a good editor to, yes. to sort of hold yes. like reel him in yeah i think that's definitely true yeah i think he he like rolls with punches really well yeah and then you get to hear him go, well you know like the crimson bands of sutorak i commend you to subscribe and, you know like all that stuff uh i think that would be super fun uh to hear uh because um yeah i, I i'd be into that all right so dr strange Sur- surgeon supreme issue number three is by mark wade and kev walker they are credited as storytellers together colors by java tartaglia and letters by vc's Corey pettit i friggin' love this book i yeah. love this issue producer jorge was a little down on it because it's a like sort of one and done type story which it is and it isn't it is you know has threads that it's pulling from each issue but you're getting compact single issue stories which I think there's restraint in doing that in this day and age. You know, that used to be the norm. A lot of comics would tell you a story in one issue. Good, you're in and out in 22 pages. There's restraint in in now modern storytelling because you're, everybody's like, oh, we're going to do it for the trade, six issues, all this other stuff. To do a great story over the course of 22 pages, which has all the beats you need. So if you pick only this issue, you feel complete is a feat. And I, I think they crush it here. Yeah. I really like it also because it feels like it has a kinship with like a medical procedural, you know, with which is just has like the case of the week. And of course, you know, the characters, of course, you know, the lead. But I love that. And, and I love imagining that being part of the pitch here of just like every week he's going to have some sort of weird medical situation. He's going to have a weird mystical situation. He's going to have to deal with them both and see what happens in an alternate universe. House wasn't a TV show. I mean, that's strange. Exactly was the TV was show? Of, yeah, and it <laughs> like, can you? Oh, blah, yeah. Uh, this the art in here, the vibe, the whole story reminds me of old school Ditko horror stories. It's creepy and weird, especially you start getting into this extra dimension that Strange has never been in before. Which that right there is super fun, and the way it's depicted is wild it like i had to focus my eyes on parts of it because it was just so cool looking if you are not reading any doctor strange if you're just like oh i've seen the character in the movies or whatever i think this is an issue you pick up right now and this will help you decide if this is a character you want to get into Uh, i'm trying to think of a good uh podcast host in our next series and i actually think there are a bunch of really good options in here because it's a team book and this team book is excalibur number seven it's written by teeny howard who Herself would be an incredible podcast host. You need to get it going. Uh, with pencils by Wilton Santos, inks by Oren Jr., colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I was doing a story on uh, uh, Jamie Braddock. Yes. On Marvel.com. Go yes. check it out right now for a little peek into the past. I meant to include that in the notes to plug that. I'm glad yeah, you did. Go check it out. Written by TJ Deesh. So what comes to mind when someone mentions Jamie? Uh, madness, reality warping, unpredictable, awesome chaos, but a character I've, I honestly have very little right. like firsthand memories of yeah. just like the, the, I, I think of like covers or trading cards or Alan Davis art of Jamie Braddock, like sort of twisting yeah, and being yeah. weird. And like, this is kind of scary. Right. So Jamie has been kind of anointed here the king of Otherworld, which is very, very interesting. Obviously, there's a ton of Braddock family dynamics happening in this book, which I think is 
extremely fascinating in its own right, especially given everything that's happened with Brian at the start of this series. To see this wild card element now of Jamie added to that mix, I think is very, very fascinating. I think that sibling aspect of it has these ties that are very unique to that. And then combining that with all the wonderful, wonderful weirdness that goes on in this series, it's so, so much fun. Out of the characters in Excalibur, though... I got a pitch. I got a pitch. You want to hear my pitch? All right. Sugar and Spice, Rogue and Jubilee, the two of them, it's their podcast together. Rogue is, of course, Sugar. Jubilee, she's the, like, whip smart, Kraken, millennial, like, literal firecracker. The two of them, they dunk on Gambit. Every episode. You're actually great. kind of bumming me out because that sounds so awesome. Right? <laughs> yeah. Man, like, I'm so am... sad that's not a real thing. Let's see if we can make this happen. Oh, man. That's Dreams awesome. can come true. Uh, <laughs> that issue also has Warwolves. So if you're a fan of old school Excalibur by Claremont and Alan Davis and them, Ooh. it all comes together just like it's coming together in the pages of Gwen Stacy, number one, written by Christos Gage, art by Todd Nock, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I honestly don't know what the hook is for a Gwen Stacy podcast. Maybe it's a true crime podcast or maybe perspectives of things that she's learned from her dad. I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not with it yet. If we come up with something, yeah. we'll get there. Yeah. But this is the first issue of this Gwen Stacy story, and it does take place in the past, sort of fitting into early Amazing Spider-Man within the like the, the 20s of the run. But this has Todd Knock on art, which there is like when when Todd has the time to put together an issue, he just crushes it. It's like layers upon layers of storytelling and characters, backgrounds, all the bits and pieces that he puts into it. I dug it. This book is not at all what I was expecting. Yeah. I, I I didn't really know what to expect out of it. But we get that like true crime, her younger days, her relationship with her father, her starting to get into various different things. She's still in high school. We see her boyfriend she had before Peter Parker, which what happened to that guy? There's <laughs> like this like like drop moment where you're like, oh no, this poor guy. Because in this issue, you got the enforcers, which includes Fancy Dan, wow. one of the top 50 Marvel characters in Agent <laughs> M's eyes. So we are we've got a really cool story here. I Really, really dug this one. If you're like, eh, I'm not a Gwen Stacy kind of person, I think this could turn you around on the character. I think there are certain qualities conducive to a good podcast host. And I think in theory, this next character has them, but I actually think he's too much. I think he's got charisma, he's got charm, he's fun, he's funny, but I think he's just too much of a kind of harebrained kind of madman. To be able to just like keep a show moving. I'm talking about Clint Barton. I'm talking about Hawkeye. And Hawkeye Freefall number three is my first pick of the week. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. I've loved the first two issues of this series so much. And I want to give a a shout out to this book's editor, Alana Smith, because Alana has been taking on more and more books as the editor of the project. She's just so good at her job. I think it speaks to her qualities as an editor, given the number of books that she does and how good those books are. But to get into Hawkeye Freefall, it's a really stunning feat for Matt to continue to just pull off in so many of of the books that he writes where you feel the drama. And this is something, this is a dynamic that I'm really fascinated by across media where you can have sincere real drama and heart and heartbreak in one moment and then a like belly laugh the next or vice versa. I saw people talking about online about the reveal at the end of issue two of how Clint is the one behind the mask of Ronan, uh, which is a huge plot point early in this series. And it's something that I remember seeing someone say, like, I haven't been hit by a, a beat in a story like that since like Secret Empire, which is exactly the drama I'm talking about. It's exactly those kind of swerves that I love so much. It's so perfect in every way. Really love that. And again, if you like the Fraction Aha run, sort of this you know beloved run of Hawkeye comics, I think this book is going to be up your alley. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, another book that should be up your alley is my first pick of the week. It is Immortal Hulk issue number 31. You know what? 
Think about it. You get the Immortal podcast or the Immortal cast or the Hulk cast. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we, we can play around the name a little bit. But Hulk's got all these personalities and he can sort of shift them as he needs to. Yeah. He, so you could you could have a segment where it's like the child version and he gets pushed out of the way because now it's Joe's corner. And so, <laughs> you know, if Joe Fixit comes out, uh, you know, he's, he's got he's got yeah. some stuff he wants to talk about. Yeah. And then, you know, move over to the Devil Hulk and like all these different <laughs> things. And finally, Banner's like, well, that's a wrap for this week. Everybody just have a great time. Uh, you might have something there. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely And then right. you bring in his cast of like goofs, the the gamma goofs. Uh, yeah. You know, you got Rick Jones coming in. You've got uh, Betty and she's all harpied out. Like we can build out a good six, six episodes of this. Yeah. So we're going yes to, to him being <laughs> the host. This issue though, woo! I love it. Uh, it's written by Al Ewing and you've got multiple artists on this. So the, the sort of main story, Drawn by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose, Belodino Bravo, Cam Smith, colors by Paul Mounts. And then we have a framing sequence that takes place in the past. It is drawn and colored by Javier Rodriguez with inks by Alvaro Lopez, VCs Corey Pettit, letters the whole kit and caboodle. It is Dr. McGowan who she's been helping out the Hulk. She has has this like difficult past, and she remarks back on an encounter with a superhero, and it, it feeds into her history, it feeds into her relationship with the Hulk, and it sort of like sets up her dynamic uh, in a way we haven't seen before. Then we shift over into the present day, we see the mortal Hulk, he's fighting these monsters, and he's just, it's gnarly. Again, these creatures are gross. They're horrifying. Uh, but in comes Zemnu the Titan, and there's a double play on the Hulk aspect of Zimnu in here because at one point he was called the Hulk. He was the called the Hulk before the Hulk came out because he's a, a you know a monster that predates the Incredible Hulk just a little bit. So he's this big, white, furry robot dude who has psychic powers. Wild design. And he has been employed by Roxxon in this storyline. And uh, it's wild watching this happen there's almost like like the ground starts to shift under you as a reader while it shifts under the characters in the story and i think it's something that only can be done by really great storytellers so that when you wrap back around to the framing sequence it it has shifted with the other part of the story and everybody's got this new sort of perspective on things i you know when you think about realities sort of changing you you know like uh, everybody talked about the Bernstein bears or the Mandela effect these things yeah. there's something that happens in here which has that like effect on it and it's it like is, inherently difficult to talk to like yeah. to, to tricky to explain yeah uh but this is my probably my favorite issue of the series in a couple months it's like a total package come together to really make it greater than the sum of its parts yeah okay We've talked about some good podcasts, so some bad ones. For me, this dude might take the cake as the worst one. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about Tony Stark. Of course, it's not Tony Stark, Tony Stark. We have AI Tony Stark, and this all takes place in Iron Man 2020 number two, which is written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage with art by Pete Woods and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. It would just be like nonstop Tony talk forever about himself. Tucker, the world needs more rich white guys <laughs> talking about themselves on podcasts. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. But there's um, other opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very, very interesting to see the ways that this Iron Man 2020 book, in a way, you know, is is playing with these traditional dynamics with these heroes that we, you know, know and we know the position that Tony Stark, we know the position that Iron Man holds within the Marvel Universe. And then when you have him in a way taken off the board like he is and the kind of AI Tony Stark is in real Tony Stark's place and you have Arno come in to the fore, it's very interesting to see how that moniker, that position is warped and changed by this different character, this different person who is occupying that space. This is no revelation here, but Arno is really the kind of opposite side of the same coin as Tony because I feel like for every fault that Tony has, um, he he will. Uh, I just came up with the podcast. Okay, the fault in our Starks. It's the two of them talking about all the the 
crappy stuff just that therapy. they've done. It's just, yeah, it's them. It's like, all right, so let's let's go back to October 19th, uh, 2002. Here's what I did. Here's how I screwed up. Putting it out there. And Arnold's like, I was stuck in an iron lung. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, I am fascinated by that dynamic. There's so much going on in the world of 2020 from Iron Man 2020 to Machine Man 2020, Force Works, which was just announced, Rescue. There's so much more coming. And I also cannot blow past this issue without talking about Pete Woods. Not only is his action incredible, the way that he frames sequences, but there's some great back matter in this issue that just shows off his character designs, which are incredible. The entire world of 2020, as that's been built up for decades at this point, has kind of crafted its own look. So to harness that while also making it uniquely Pete Woods is really, really awesome. And it's great to see. Heck yeah. Uh, All right. I think Jessica Jones, and Jessica Jones Blind Spot number three is our next book. I think Jessica Jones could have a good podcast. I agree. I think there's some legalities we'll have to develop <laughs> and work out because it could be Jessica Jones case files or yeah. something like that, where yeah. she goes through a different case that she's dealt with. She has to change the names, the locations. I some believe of the details. she just say the word allegedly a lot, <laughs> right? Is that like, how it works? I think that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Good. That's good. Uh, yeah, and, and then. <laughs> Every once in a while, she could drop in a great guest star like we see in this issue, which is written by Kelly Thompson, art by Mattia Dioulis, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, guest star in this issue, the big one, is Elsa Bloodstone. And I think this might be the first time Kelly writes Elsa Bloodstone, who she's now writing in the yeah. pages of Deadpool. And just absolutely, you can tell she loves writing Elsa and she crushes it. She's just so fun, so like foul-mouthed, over-the-top. This issue we've talked about previously because it was released as a Marvel Digital original, but you should be reading this book. It is some of the best Jessica Jones you're going to see out there. Yeah, I'm one of those people that like when I see a new movie or read a new book that I really, really love, I'm someone who kind of puts it on the back burner for a while and just lets it marinate in my brain until I can really decide in posterity, okay, this is one of my true favorites. And now that this book has matured in the back of my mind. It's fermented a little bit. I think this is one of my favorite books of the last couple of years. It's so, so awesome. Okay, moving on from Jessica Jones to Marvel Spider-Man, The Black Cat Strikes, number two. <sighs> Middle of the road on the podcast hosts of here. Not great, not terrible. See, I think now, just fine. Mary Jane, yes. who is a character, and in this world, which is uh, from the Marvel's Spider-Man exclusively for PlayStation 4 title, mm-hmm. I think Mary Jane would make a great host because she is she's like relentless journalist all those things like she would be a like young sarah koenig and i think she would get into some really cool stories really great investigations and yeah her like sort of bland boyfriend who you know is super <laughs> hot and flies around flips around the city great this black cat great i want the mary jane podcast yeah, yeah that's a good one this issue is written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with art by Luca Maresca, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I think this is just a great study in the character dynamics between Spidey and Black Cat. It's got to be one of the top, I don't know, maybe even top five, like, will they, won't they kind of relationships in Marvel history. So there's so much space to uh, play around in there. And as with all of these books, that whether they're inspired by Marvel's Spider-Man, whether they're inspired by we've been reading some that are prequels to the Marvel's Avengers game coming up, I just love to see how uh, these creators iterate on so much history and carve out this new universe that we're still exploring, still very fresh, and then make it their own. So in here, I think that works really, really nicely. I love the way that Black Cat is written. I think it's pitch perfect. And then, yeah, I completely agree. I think this book without MJ is is one thing, but when you add MJ into this, it's just that X factor. It adds so much. Yeah. And if, for fans of the game, this does add new scenes, new dialogue, new bits and pieces, particularly to what Tucker was talking about, that Black Cat, Spider-Man relationship. So you have not seen the full story if you think you've just played the game. There's more therein. All right. Up next is Marvel's X number two. And the story here is by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger. Script by Jim Kruger. Art by Well B. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So I was thinking about this in terms of the podcast discussion that we're having. David, who is the young man who is the only person on the planet, seemingly, who does not have superpowers after this big event. If you have read Earth X, Universe X, Paradise X, you know sort of the trajectory of this universe. But 
here's this kid, he's probably like 16 or so, who is trying to figure out his place in the world when everyone he loves is gone, everything he knows is over. I don't know that he's the podcast host because I think he's just so young and I like I don't know what his perspective mm-hmm. is yet, but I would love to hear a podcast in this world of what is going on of like someone trying to find a sense of stability even now that they have like, I don't know, a banana for a nose or whatever right. mutation that they've gotten. If you are a fan of the Earth X trilogy, you're going to get some cool connections to the Avengers. The Avengers have a wild story in that original uh, run. Some cool stuff with Spider-Man. Machine Man has a great moment here. Where I was like, oh, Aaron, you poor <laughs> b- baby boy. And in the back of this issue, you've got Alex Ross pencil character sketches for a number of characters. Like, come on. Quick aside. Hit me. That book reminded me of something I forgot to talk about in Hawkeye Freefall. That last page gave me chills. Yeah. A uh, huge spoiler. We'll not talk about it anymore. We'll talk about why it reminded me of it, but so awesome. So excited. Okay. Now back to the M section of our books uh, with Morbius. <laughs> Number four. Talk about bad podcast hosts. Old Mike, I don't think would be very good at it. Probably would be late or miss a bunch of sessions. He just, you know, he he'd be just like sickly and like barfing and stuff. And he wouldn't let anyone edit it or produce it, so you would have like all the sounds of his bones yeah, cracking yeah, yeah, and like yeah. him, you know, Cronenberging out and like yeah. like wet grossness sounds. <laughs> like because this book feels wet to me. It's oh, yeah. like it's like there's something gnarly and tangible about it. Yeah, he. I wouldn't want to listen to his show. Completely agree. And it, that actually makes me immediately think of the casting of the cover art for this series has been very visceral in that way. And I think it's perfect. This cover is by Scan, and each of them has had this either horrific or like photorealistic aspect to it, which I just think is perfect for this series. It's written by Vita Ayala with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira and Paolo Siguera, inks by Roberto Poggi and colors by Dono Sanchez Omar with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, we, at the end of the last issue, met a character named Elizabeth. It's a character that I was very excited to see. It, for me, felt like a moment and I, I believe I've talked about this before. It's something that happens occasionally when I'm watching a movie. You kind of have a um, the first 20 minutes. You're getting into the world. You're understanding the character dynamics. You're understanding everything. You're kind of getting the lay of the land. Uh, and then uh, something clicks and you can be like, okay, we're moving now. And I feel like that's the sense that Elizabeth gave me. Before that, we're just dealing exactly what we were just talking about with all of the mess that is Michael Morbius's life. But now we have this new character, Elizabeth, who I think is providing a really fascinating dynamic across the board because she's absolutely got her own agenda. She's got her own stuff going on. We find her lined up with Morbius in certain ways. We certainly find her as uh, kind of in opposition to him in a bunch of ways. And uh, what I was super excited to see here is some of the supporting characters who pop up in this issue to see Vita, for example, write Spider-Man, to have that character jump into this horror vampire like gothic haunted mansion kind of story is so, so cool. I think it just works perfectly. There are these huge splash pages in this uh, issue that are incredible. Marcelo and Paolo are just crushing that. There's like this thread of of garlic that runs through it, which I think is so fun like, and literally perfect. like actual it's garlic like, drawn on the page. Yeah, which is so cool. Uh, yeah, there's so much to like about this series. It feels like a very, very deep well and we're just getting uh, into the surface here. Tucker, with your sensitive tum-tum, can you eat garlic? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I got Garlic's it. Garlic's great. No problem. I I'll love it later. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> uh, all right. That was one Vita book. We have another book written by Vita Ayala. Nebula, number one, uh, as I mentioned, written by Vita, with art by Claire Rowe, colors by Mike Spicer, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. You know, my first note about Nebula is she's a jerk. Yeah. And... I don't know that I like listening to jerks so much, Mm -hmm. but I think that there's a potential for good content when someone is just, oh, you're like, this person drives me nuts. What are they saying? (laughs) And Nebula, especially in this book, is 
just the jerkiest. She, yeah. she might be a good podcast host. <laughs> I don't know. It's, you know, like a little space podcast. She's out here. She's talking about all the, the you know, idiots she's shooting and, and you know, yeah, dealing yeah. with and the money she's getting and all this stuff. But the quest for her in this issue, in this story is to get this piece of technology. And the piece of technology reminds you of something that's been going on in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, but it's also going on here where it allows her, if she gets this technology, to see probabilities, to not know, not so much see the future, but see potential. I, I think that's such a neat concept mm-hmm. of like, okay, so if I eat this hamburger today, like there's a you know 10% chance I'll be late for a meeting. If I, you know, go to says and get a salad, there's a 20% chance I'll have a cookie for dinner. What, like, <laughs> you know, like there's different variables of, of stuff that goes on. And I like that aspect. But what happens in this story really starts to set Nebula on a potentially in a very different course. I'm keen to see what happens with that. Claire Rowe's art, really, really cool. Reminds me of Michael Walsh and some other uh, artists. There's like really interesting line work kind of in contrast to what we usually see from a cosmic book. It feels almost like the art would be something we see in a street level book. And I think it works really well with Mike Spicer's colors here. Yeah. There's something in that dynamic that I think it has a kinship with the next issue, which is Savage Avengers number 10, which is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pat Zercher, colors by Java Tartaglia and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. That kinship that I'm talking about is that is this contrast. I think this book hits it on the head in such a perfect way. It's kind of, for me, it's these 10 issues have really been about the clash between blood and guts and mystical, between those two ways of dealing with things, kind of all perfectly encapsulated by Conan himself, who is all about the kind of sword fighting and blood and guts and just getting down and dirty and taking out monsters and hates, you know, sorcerers. Uh, <laughs> but of course, pitting him against a character like Kulan Goth, it's really, really interesting. And I think playing in that space, you have so many different ways of visualizing things, so many different conflicts to explore. But this issue specifically has this third act feeling to it. That's kind of the best way I can describe it. doesn't necessarily mean it's literally third act, but it has that tone to me, which I think is like this big operatic scale that just you you really feel it has heart, has emotion. It has all the action you could ever ask for. So it's a lot wrapped up in here, but it's, you know, as always, excellent. Metal as hell. Yeah, so good. Mother of Demons is our next book. It is Spirits of Ghost Rider, Mother of Demons, number one, written by Ed Brisson, art by Roland Boshi, colors by Dan Brown, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Now, the Mother of Demons that we're talking about is Lilith, the Queen of Evil. And I would swerve on it and say her podcast is all about Vespas. Uh, We've (laughs) seen her in the pages of Ghost Rider and even on there's a like design variant cover by Aaron Cooter here where she is got like her group, her like running crew, they all ride these hellfire Vespas almost. And I would, you know, her being a Vespa enthusiast, it's just like, oh, she's collecting parts. I'm sure there's got to be a market for Vespa podcasts out there. If you don't know this character, this is kind of the perfect issue for you because this gives her history, her place in the current Marvel universe, her goals. She's trying to become the queen of hell. She's the queen of evil. She's this like long, long history going back eons. And now she wants power. And it's, it's gnarly. Roland Boshi's art is like just gross and weird at times. It's really fitting the uh, horrific hellish settings of this issue. Yeah. Going from the spectacular 616 now to a galaxy far, far away with Star Wars, The Rise of Kylo Ren, number three. It's written by Charles Soule with art by Will Sliney, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Bad podcastos, that goes without saying. This issue is really cool, and I think it's perfectly Star Wars in the way that the narrative is told because we have the kind of current present day story that we're following kind of in the aftermath of Ben Solo's transition, kind of his flight to the Knights of Ren. At the same time, we're jumping back and forth between that and the past. We get to see Luke Skywalker's Airsats Jedi Academy in its early days, kind of when it was full of potential. So that in itself is super fascinating. And uh, at the same time, adds to the tragedy all the more. I feel like there's some 
crucial, crucial details to the story of Kylo Ren, the story of the Knights of Ren, the background of the entire thing. And here, if you're a Star Wars fan and you're looking for those details, it's pretty amazing. It never ceases to to kind of surprise me when you just turn the page and you see something like, that's enormously consequential. It's right there. And that happens uh, a few times in here. So it's really, really cool. Hell yeah. Also really cool this week is Symbiote Spider-Man, issue number three, written by Peter David, art by Greg Land, inks by Jay Lyston, and colors by Frank D'Armato, with letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is uh, Spider-Man in an alternate reality. I'm trying to think. Mm, I'm, not, I'm not giving him a podcast. Yeah. 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 Sorry, sorry, Spidey. I agree. You're not getting it. Yeah. Go do some city saving. <laughs> uh, but this one, we've got Spidey. He is traveling around with Doctor Strange, who has had his Sorcerer Supremeness taken away. You've got the Hobgoblin, who's large and in charge. Morbius shows up in this issue. There's a really interesting scene I dug where Doctor Strange is talking to the symbiote itself. It's a one-sided conversation, but I think the script and the illustration of it does a great job of conveying the emotion of a silent character. Mm. Uh, I thought that was really well done. I just, I'm a big fan of this alternate reality. I think it's cool. I love the twists and turns that it takes. Oh boy. Hold on to your butts because my second pick of the week is Thor number three. It's written by Dangerous Donny Cates with art by Nick Klein. Colors by the magnificent Matt Wilson. Letters and design by VCs Joe Sabino. Oh, man. I loved this issue so much. I mean, I've loved the first two issues. This one is easily my favorite. Nevertheless, I really kind of wasn't expecting this. At the end of the last issue, we, alongside Galactus and Thor ran into an obstacle, and that obstacle was Beta Ray Bill. Obviously, the character dynamics between the three of those is very fascinating given Thor and Bill's history and companionship and and so much. Uh, and then you have this kind of propelling force behind it all with Galactus, who kind of puts both of them in impossible situation. This issue is just a throwdown between Thor and Bill. I didn't expect that at all. I thought maybe we'd get five, six pages max of a kind of really cool fight, and then we would continue on the journey. But that is the weight that this deserves. It deserves an entire issue of that. And it's those conflicting elements because these characters uh, have you know so much respect for each other. They have so much history together, but they're kind of, like I said, they're put at odds against their own wills. And to see Nick Klein tackle that challenge and just crush it is absolutely bonkers. There's a couple panels here where Thor throws his hammer. Um, is it okay to say this? This is kind of like a, I don't know. What happens? Yeah. I would not say. Okay. I would. There's some big stuff in this. There's issue. really big There's stuff. big okay. stuff. Well, spoiler alert, Thor throws Mjolnir. <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> um, but these moments have this rhythm to them where you feel you, you it's literally a concussive force and you can feel these moments hit you even in panel order you know what i mean it's not even like a page turn reveal it's it's you're looking at you know five panels spread across a page and you're just living with it in each individual one i don't know how they ring out like the bone chilling spine tingling moments out of every single beat of this fight it's crazy the way it ends is so damn cool it's so donny it's so perfect Whew, man as someone who loves beta ray bill someone who uh is a big admirer of the way that donny cates tells stories i love the complexities of it i love just the pure commitment to the action throughout the whole thing man this is this is as good as it gets for me yeah on the podcast front for that i think you could do beta ray broadcasts where it's <laughs> Bill's adventures going around in his ship. Uh, his ship. I would listen to that. You know, like really cool. Him hanging out with Lockjaw one episode. <laughs> and then the next he's like helping some people and partying for two weeks. Yeah. And like just little adventures. That book is so good. So that good. good. Another great issue written by Donnie in Venom. Issue number 23 with art by Mark Bagley. Inks by Andy Owens. Colors by Frank Martin. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I want a symbiote podcast um, cool. Chilling. where it's just the, the Carnage symbiote and the Venom symbiote just like bickering with each other, <laughs> like like weird tones and just like, yeah. you know, 
Eddie stuck in the middle being just Eddie. <laughs> I could I could listen to that. Uh, this one um, is the third part of Venom Island. Definite predator feels. Definite like wow, this is not pulling any punches. Mm-hmm. There's like moves happening to the symbiotes to Eddie that aren't just like oh cool we're telling a story and we'll wrap it back up and just like put a bow on it at the end. No, no, no like this is leaving marks on these characters that we will see as they go through. I don't like there's it's hard to talk about this issue. If you read the last issue, you know something major changed for Eddie and that continues on and it's emotional on the other side of things in this issue. Dylan Brock, Eddie's son, is a real creepo. Yeah. Little weird little <laughs> kid. Leave it at that. Um, okay, going on from Venom, we have X-Force number seven. It's my last book of the week here. It's written by Benjamin Percy with art by Oscar Bazaldua, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I love a team book that is so nicely constructed that the kind of – it's that thing. It's that Christopher McQuarrie thing director, movie director Chris McQuarrie, who's talked about, like, when you have a well-written story, you can go into action and have zero dialogue, not worry about plot or anything, because you just kind of inherently know where you are, what's happening, what you're after, what your characters or your heroes are doing. In a way, I feel like that has a kinship with this issue, because we zoom in on one character and particular which is really cool it's something i love that an ensemble story can do like i was saying a well-constructed well-written ensemble story where you know where the larger storyline is going you know what the team's after you know what they're doing but then you can just go into essentially the mind of one of those people and still follow all of those threads while also giving the benefit of uh having this individualized point of view that person in this issue is Domino, which is so cool. Domino has been through so much in these first six or seven issues. Pretty brutal stuff. But I loved the kind of resolve, but also realness that is played with this character. Because it's not, it's, it's certainly not, and I, I think if you know Ben Percy's writing, you would not expect it to be this thing where this character goes through something enormously traumatic and painful and life-threatening and then just comes out the other side and it's just kind of like back to normal, back to the character we've always known. Certainly Domino is Domino, but we are feeling the pangs, the after effects of what has changed across mutant kind, what has changed for her recently, kind of a recent brush with death. There's a great conversation that takes place here between Domino and Colossus, which I really loved. And I think on an emotional level gets at that. It gets at where these characters are right now, how they're dealing with things, what their perspectives are on it. In that scene as well, there's, I felt like there was an easy way where they could have gone and like the two of them have had relationship before. They've like gotten down a bunch. They could have gone out and like this, turn it into this like sort of almost romantic, commiserating scene. And it's not that. That's not where they are personally. I think that's an important thing that don't fall into this a simple you know, story beat here, then fade out. No, there are bigger things going on for these characters and more emotional scars exactly. that I think tells such a better story. Yeah, I can completely agree. That's the perfect way to put it. So as we continue with Domino in this story, it is uh, it is definitely a Domino tale. And it's really, really awesome. It's one of those moments that you get when reading comics where you're like, oh, man, I could just read an entire series with this creative team and this character. So many great moments, so much that feels so specific to Domino. Like I said, while also continuing threads of everything going on in X-Force. So cool. So, so excellent. So that was a team book focused on one character. This is as well. We are talking about X-Men issue number six, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Matteo Bufagni, colors by Sonny Go, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And uh, the main character at the heart of this issue is Mystique, one of my favorite mutant characters. I think she's so interesting and layered and complicated and terrifying and sad and sweet and funny and dangerous. And like, she's everything. She's like almost a perfect character. And so a lot of this issue follows her as she is dealing with the repercussions of missions and and requests and orders at the behest of Professor Xavier and Magneto. And I've always like Charles, 
he's a jerk. He's the worst. Yeah. He's bad news. He is always been a, a creepo to me. And then Magneto is down the line. Like he's always going to be a little bit like what side is he on? But you, you always know that you don't know. And I think that's like the best part of Magneto. Yeah. He's going to be what he's going to be. And right now he's doing this for the betterment of mutants. But Xavier puts on this veneer of like, I'm here to help. I'm the good guy. Let's be friends. Let me massage your brain. And at the, the other way, he's like stabbing you in the back. And that is really coming together, this side of Xavier and the, the creepiness around him in this issue, because we see what Mystique wants out of Paradise, what she wants out of being on Krakoa. Oh, right. Also, this is my <laughs> second pick of the week. I got so wrapped yeah, up in I this book already because yeah, it's so good. Yeah. One of the things that has been in my mind since I first heard about this entire endeavor, the House of X, Powers of Ten, the rebirths and all this other stuff was, okay, what's the deal with, what's going to happen with this character, this character, this character, like mm -hmm. characters that we've seen die over the last 40 years of X-Men stories, where are they? There's literally millions of mutants that need to be reborn because of the massacre on Genosha and all so many other things. And so they're getting to them. Well, this gets to a very important piece of that conversation and it revolves around Mystique. If you know Mystique, you know she uh, had this amazing relationship with Destiny. Destiny Irene Adler, a really cool character. She was precog, you know, an oracle. She could see the future, it was a little bit misty. And she died many years ago. The emotional weight of this issue crashes against you over and over again. The last page of this issue is just like, set it all on fire. I am ready. I want this story. I can't wait. This is, I loved issue four mm -hmm. of X-Men. I think that was the the one with the three, with Xavier, Magneto, Apocalypse. They go talk to the humans. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is up there with that issue for me. This is just like the peak perfection of what this new paradigm of X-Men books can give us. I think it's so good. It is beautifully illustrated. It is heartbreaking. It is savvy. It is putting pieces in front of you and saying, hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man, you better be reading this. Yeah. Oh, man, freaking great. So good. Bunch of great stuff this week for individual issues on sale. Now for print collections, we have Arrow Volume 1, Before the Storm, Age of Conan Valeria, Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection, The Secret of the Petrified Tablet, Black Panther, Visions of Wakanda. This one is a great collection if you want a sample of like all kinds of Black Panther stories, whether it's the original first appearances by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee or the current stuff by Ta-Nehisi Coates and company. It's a big sampling. Nice. Then we have Black Widow Epic Collection, Beware the Black Widow. 400 pages of old school Black Widow stories. Uh, and then here's one, Dawn of X, Volume 1. This one is interesting because it is the first issues of all the Dawn of X launch titles. So that's X-Men, X-Force, New Mutants, Fallen Angels, and Excalibur. It is the first issue of each of them. And if you looked at those issues as they were coming out, in the, in the last page would say the reading order. Mm -hmm. So when they were coming out, that's what I think these will be is saying like, okay, here's the way that the creators intended the story to unfold. Yeah. Serialized, you're not reading six issues of one story in a row because they do sort of flip into each other. There's little elements that inform the next issue of a different book. So if you read it in this format, you get that same sense that they were intending. And then we also have Miles Morales, Great Responsibility, Star Wars, Dr. Aphra, Volume 7, A Rogue's End, Star Wars, Target, Vader, and The Life of Captain Marvel Select. All right. Uh, let's talk about Marvel Unlimited. I mentioned it earlier in the show. Lots of good stuff. So first issue of Absolute Carnage is in Marvel Unlimited. If you missed out, it is... This issue was what, like 90 pages? Yeah, it's it was huge. huge. Yeah. The price was like 10 bucks for that issue. That's the price of Marvel Unlimited for one month. Boom, right there. Asians of Atlas, number one, great series that I really, really love. That's in Marvel Unlimited. House of X, number two, 
this week. And then Sensational Spider-Man Self-Improvement number one hits MU. I wanted to point this one out because it was really interesting. This was one of our Marvel 80th anniversary issues from last year, but there was a fan in the 80s named Randy Schooler who submitted an idea about Spider-Man wearing a black costume. And this was before Secret Wars. His story was never printed because they didn't go with that idea. He, I think he, they did give him some credit in terms of type of design that they were also thinking of. But the Marvel Comics editors for last year then went to Peter David and Rick Leonardi, who have huge careers with Spider-Man, to actually bring Randy's story to life. And it's it's really cool. This one is a really neat 80th anniversary celebration issue. And then the classics. Really cool stuff in here. So old school stuff added to Marvel Unlimited include Daredevil issues 292 and 293. Those have art by Lee Weeks. And they're awesome. It's Punisher versus Daredevil. Really dug that. Issues one through nine of the original Marvel UK Death's Head stories. Simon Furman has written probably like 300 Transformer stories mm. and really created the entirety of Transformers lore over in the Marvel comics and the Marvel UK comics. He also did a ton of stuff for us, mostly in Marvel UK, including this. He's great. He's really, really great. These issues have art by Brian Hitch from maybe you know his work on Ultimates or any number of amazing comics. This is from 1988, Marvel UK. Also, the 1991 Death's Head original graphic novel, The Body in Question, written by Simon Furman. Dragon's Claws, number five, which is an early Death's Head storyline. Sensational She-Hulk, number 24, which is a Death's Head issue inside mm. the John Byrne run, but it's by Simon Furman and Brian Hitch, uh, which is super cool. It's She-Hulk versus Death's Head. Then there's What If, number 54, which is what if Death's Head 1 had survived in the 90s. I love this issue. I mean, it's on my spinner rack at home right now. Really freaking good. This is a great week for Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. I just talked a lot. (sighs) Death's Head. Death's Head, good podcast host? Yes. Yes, 100%. He's like weird and quirky and like he's got funny like uh, tics and the way he speaks. Mm -hmm. He's inter. He can travel dimensions, time, space, like, he can go <laughs> anywhere, you know, maybe one week you're talking to Optimus Prime as he hangs out with Deathhead. The next week, he's got the Doctor on, a.k.a. the star <laughs> of Doctor Who. The next week, he's hanging out with, you know, I don't know, Captain America. Wow. It's wild. Yeah. Deathhead podcast would be the best. Boom. Perfect way. Yeah. That's it for us. But this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, and MR Daniel. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton did not a damn thing for this episode. Come on, Brad. Where's Brad with our burgers? Ooh, uh, breaking news here. Uh, I've got a question for the audience. Would Brad make a good podcast host? Yes, I think he would. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yes, he would make a great podcast host. Brad. Yeah. Good job, Brad. I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe. He actually hosts one. Burger time? Is it burger time? Oh, 1.21 gigawatts? So it's all-purpose geek podcast? Pin down your topic, guy.